Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. The very first church I remember stepping foot in was the University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. And a man there named Earl Palmer, who recently passed away, uh, was the first preacher I heard in the church. And one of the distinct things that I remember that he would do almost every single Sunday is after reading the scriptures, he would begin his prayer like this. He would say, Lord, be our teacher. Lord, be our teacher. And as somebody that didn't grow up in the church and was unfamiliar with, with all of it, and as somebody that came to understand what a great teacher Earl was, that simple prayer made a profound impact on me because I learned from him that he believed that the one who was really doing the teaching was Jesus. And today what we're going to talk about is Jesus as teacher and as we're talking about what does it mean if we are ourselves going to be a disciple of Jesus, that means he's teaching us. And as we are going to invite other people into that journey of learning from Jesus, is that we too need to be teachers. How will we teach the way that Jesus taught to our neighbors, our classmates, our teammates, our coworkers and friends? How are we going to teach in the way that he did. So I'm going to read for us uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to see both the element of Jesus being a teacher, but also what he taught and what he expected in the teaching moment. So Mark chapter 4, verse 1 starts like this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that They may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. 
Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, And the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The text said that he taught them many things. By parables. In 1969, two men, Neil Postman and Charles Weingartner, wrote a book entitled Teaching as a Subversive Activity. Title kind of grabs you a little bit. I had to read it for some of my graduate studies. Teaching as a Subversive Activity. And the two men in the introduction said this, that they, they were serious, dedicated, professional educators who believed in the improvability of the human condition through education. 1969, their thesis was that if the improvement of the educational system could happen, that the human condition would be improved. And then they write this. School, after all, is the one institution in our society that is inflicted on everybody. And what happens in school makes a difference, for good or ill. And then look at this. I find this fascinating. 1969, look how they describe the world. It is the thesis of this book that change, constant, accelerating, ubiquitous, is the most striking characteristic of the world we live in, and that our educational system has not yet recognized this fact. 1969, people were writing about how change, this accelerating change around them, was the most striking characteristic. And these two men sought to reform education and its system. And they talked about the need for new ways of learning and new ways of teaching. Raise your hand if you're going back to school this week. Whether, whether you believe it or not, you actually are. Like, raise your hand. I know, like... There's a whole row of my children that did not raise their hand. You are going back to school. I want to do something a little bit different because it's the beginning of the school year for many. If you are a teacher, an educator, administrator, a principal, if you're involved in the school system in some way, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. Yes, we can clap. And in the first service, I also invited people to keep standing, stay standing. You're not, you're not sitting down yet. If you were involved, if that was your profession as you, as before you retired, I want you to stand as well. So if you were an educator, a teacher, administrator of some kind, yes. <laughs> Friends, teaching is vital. It's absolutely vital. And I just simply want, as we head back to school, to offer a prayer uh, for these folks that either have been or are involved in that vital Profession. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, be our teacher. 
not only in this moment, but for the brothers and sisters that will enter into school hallways and classrooms this fall, for those that spent hours upon hours in lesson preparation and, and serving for decades in the schools, we give you thanks. And we ask that you would renew their sense of call, that teaching, teaching is so vital in our world to care for students and to understand them and to teach them not only information, but to teach so that their lives may be changed. Would you bless these teachers and administrators and principals that have served and are about to serve in another year? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So teaching is vital. And teaching comes in a variety of forms, doesn't it? Not just the classroom. I mean, in many ways, all of us in this room teach somewhere in our profession. A devotional I've been listening to by a man named John Ortberg, he talked this past week about learning. And he said this, that Jesus did not simply teach other people information, but he taught for the purpose of life transformation. Jesus wasn't just about information. He was about teaching for life transformation. And more than just a play on words, I want to ask you if you really believe that. Do you really believe that when you read the words of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, whether they're printed and read or not, do you pause for a moment and say to yourself, these words have the potential to change me? You may have read whatever Jesus is about to say a hundred times. You may get a verse of the day kind of thing in your Bible app, and it may be the words of Jesus, but do you pause long enough to actually reckon with the idea that what Jesus taught changed people and changed the world. So, teaching, teaching comes in a variety of different forms. Sometimes Jesus simply asked questions to, to get people to think differently. And if we are to invite other people into discipleship to Jesus, our teaching may look different than standing up on a stage and proclaiming some information that hopefully leads to transformation to other people. Sometimes our teaching can come in a conversation. How many of you, here's an example, how many of you have a friend, the kind of friend that when you get together, they rattle on and on about all the things that they have to do, what their schedule looks like, and why they have to do all of those things. If you're sitting next to that person right now, do not raise your hand. I would advise against it. <laughs> but but you, ever, you, ever have, you have a friend like that? That the, the, most of your conversations revolve around them telling you how busy they are in their schedule? Well, in that moment, teaching can look like this. You simply pausing and asking the question, who told you you have to do all those things? Who told you you have to do all those things? Sometimes a deep question like that 
can cause somebody to, to think about their perspective, that life perhaps isn't a sum total of all of our activities and all the things that we think we have to do, and, and then stopping and thinking about why we're doing the things that we're doing could be a poignant way of teaching someone. Teaching can be offering a different perspective from history or more recent discoveries, but at the core, teaching also means that there has to be a willingness to be taught, right? Teaching involves a willingness to be taught. Saying that Jesus is a teacher means that he knows more than we do and that we need to be taught. There are things that you and I do not know or that we think that we might know something, but we don't know it as deeply as we could. And Jesus knew that his disciples, they needed to be taught. They needed to be taught rightly about God and his kingdom. They had learned some things, and those things were often incomplete or ended up focusing just on externals. Here's an example. The Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is considered by many the greatest sermon ever given. And whether a Christian or not, moral ethicists look at the Sermon on the Mount as the greatest example of ethical teaching about the human condition that has ever been written. And in it, Jesus begins a good chunk of it by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's reframing the things that have been taught to the the audience and then boldly says, I say to you, I am the new center of authority. I am a new source of wisdom and knowledge if you will listen to me. That's how Jesus taught. He took what was, what was being taught, and he saw the the end result of it, and he reframed it, locating in himself the source of wisdom and knowledge. As, As the scriptures will later say, the apostle Paul, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? That in Christ... Everything that you would want to know or need to know in this life is yours through him. He's not just a specialist in a particular subset of theology or spirituality. He's the most brilliant teacher of the human condition that has ever lived. And we we know and we celebrate today that he's more than the teacher, right? Right? And in his dying and rising again, he taught us the way of God. You ever stop and think about what it must have been like to sit at the feet of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount or any other place, to be by a lakeside or on a hillside, and actually, what did his voice sound like? How was it that he could captivate thousands of people without a microphone, for hours, so much so that they would forget to eat. There must have been something about the way that he talked, and the scriptures even say that he taught as one who had authority. There was something powerful in the way that he spoke. Now, if I'm fortunate, once in a while from this stage, I'll say something 
that might cause you to think and reflect and, by God's grace, change something about how you approach the world once in a while. But if I go longer than the allotted time, then there's grumbling. (laughs) I get it. I don't have the same teaching power that Jesus did. And I'm okay with that. Believe me. But Jesus was different. Can you imagine the author of all wisdom and knowledge being your teacher? But here's what's interesting. The Gospels record that it's crazy that people heard what he would say, they called him crazy and a heretic, that he had a demon. But for those that had ears to hear, they put themselves in a position to be a learner, a disciple, an apprentice of his. And when they did that, Jesus changed their lives and their world forever. And Jesus used parables, parables to to describe things that had eternal truths to them. The Urban's Bible Dictionary defines parables like this. The primary purpose of the parables is to reveal some aspect of the coming of the kingdom of God in the person and teaching of Jesus. But Jesus also intended that the parables conceal his teaching while being a vehicle for it. Even the disciples of Jesus did not understand the parables without fail. But, don't miss this, their adherence to Jesus caused them to seek and to receive understanding of the parables. Understanding is made subject to whether a listener is willing to identify with Jesus or wishes to remain outside. That is, hold Jesus and his claims, his teaching at arm's length. So what's being said there? Jesus used the parables, and friends, what's difficult for us to grasp is at times he would say things that he knew could be confusing to people, but the intent of that was to draw people deeper and see who the good soil was, to see who really sought to understand. And that's what Jesus did. And those that identified themselves with Jesus and did not keep him at arm's length gained an understanding of the kingdom of God and of the person of Jesus. So identifying with Jesus, committing to follow him, believing that in him we have the words and understanding of everlasting life, that commitment, empowered by the Holy Spirit, enables us to understand the teaching of Jesus. But what was beautiful about Jesus is that what was different also is that the poor, the outcast, and the unlearned, they were welcome to listen and learn. He did not exclude them by the way that he taught. So any of you that are in here right now and says, you know, I'm not a reader. I'm really not a good student. I don't learn in the typical way that other people Learn the good news, the way that Jesus taught would have captured you too. Some of the things that he said were confusing, and it, the scriptures you know, interestingly record that people left after he said things. And most of them left, I think, for one of two reasons. One, what Jesus said 
challenged the traditional religious structure that had been set up, and it offended the people that were controlling that. That was one reason why people did not abide by his teaching. It was so different than the structure that had been set up. And two, this is the hard one. People realized what Jesus was asking them to do. To give up some things that they were holding on to and to follow him with their whole life. And people were not willing to follow Jesus in that way. So, key to Jesus' plan of discipleship was teaching, and so should be ours. Do you know that Jesus continued to teach even after he was risen from the grave? You may not think about that. I I, I didn't until I came across something that mentioned that. Jesus continued to teach after being raised from the grave. We think that that maybe the cross and the resurrection were the absolute pinnacle of what happened, and yet the scriptures record that he continued to pour into his disciples and teach them. Consider this passage, Acts 1-3, it says this, that after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the primary message of Jesus' gospel, he continued to proclaim after the resurrection. And we read in Acts that that after Jesus was raised from the grave, the the disciples came to him and said, oh, are you going to now restore the kingdom to Israel? And they meant a a physical kingdom, a a literal physical kingdom. And so maybe that was the thing that prompted Jesus going, oh, we got to go back to school. I have more to teach you because you still do not understand what I am about. The message of God's kingdom as presented by Jesus is the one that we need to teach. And I think the key for us to disciple like Jesus, to teach others like Jesus, is to think today about how we might translate the idea of Jesus bringing a kingdom into our context. Because if we as Americans hear about king and kingdom, there are some things in our cultural DNA that make us resist that, right? We all have mostly seen Hamilton. (laughs) And we think about King George. We think about leaving England and that kingdom. And we think about a king. And sometimes king and kingdom can be difficult for us to access. So how do we translate this idea of king and kingdom into our context? And as I thought about this, my wife stood up when I asked teachers to stand because this past year she was hired by the Sacramento County Office of Education to be a a traveling art integration teacher at a variety of different schools. And it was a joy for me as her husband to hear her come home And see, another example of a kid or a classroom light up that has not had art or or they've struggled in certain ways and that the presentation of material put into an artistic project all of a sudden made all the light bulbs go off for that student, for that classroom, and for that teacher. 
And it's a joy to be able to present things in new ways, in new formats that help people understand. And I believe that it's incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus to think about how do we do that with the teaching of Jesus without compromising its truth, but making it relevant in today's world. How do we talk about and teach Jesus in our world today? I think if we look around, we can all probably agree on this, that that one of the core cultural stories that is being talked about right now is how important your individual identity is. The late Tim Keller was asked this in an interview before his death, that if he were planting a church today, he would talk more about the identity that Jesus gives us. That identity of being a child of God, beloved, known, gifted yet broken, forgiven and redeemed. So as we are looking to communicate our faith and teach others about Jesus, it begins, I think, with identifying where we ourselves have placed our identity. Where our neighbors, our classmates and friends are placing their identity and sharing our story of how our, our identity has shifted and has had to shift to being an apprentice of Jesus because we've placed our trust in our source of identity into things that will only make us empty. That might be one way that we translate this idea of a new king and a new kingdom It's with talking about how Jesus is our source of all wisdom and knowledge, and in him we have our given identity as a child of God. Because what Jesus has done for us is teach us again and again and again about the truth of God's character, his heart, and what the kingdom of God is like. And through his death, And through his resurrection, the promise is given to us that you and I can live in the ever-growing reality of that kingdom, the place where God's will is done. In the world that we live in, it's harder at times to see that kingdom, that reign of God, but it exists in places small, unseen, beautiful, and true. And as we seek to disciple like Jesus, may we teach through the asking of a question, through the sharing of our story, offering a different perspective to what we hear in our friends and neighbors, that we can trust Jesus to be what he said he would be. He's our teacher. He's our savior. He is our Lord. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. 
You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.